you came in the middle of a series, a conversation is what we call it, that we've been having here. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a Bible, and I want you to open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, if, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's some in the chairs, and if you don't own a Bible, just take that with you. You can have it, all right? Uh, if you don't have a newer translation of the Bible, just put your name in there. It's our gift to you. If you're not sure how to get to 2 Corinthians, that's a great question, right? Uh, I would just look at the table of contents, but it's in the second part of your Bible, which is called the New Testament. Go to chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, lay that in your lap. Then in your program, little uh, sheet for you to take some notes on, love for you to pull that out. Love for everybody to pull that out and grab a pen. I think there's some things worthwhile writing down. Let me catch you up to speed on kind of what we've been talking about here so that you kind of know where we're going to go today. We've been talking about the, the, the series is called Church Things. Why would we call it that? You talk about church things in church, sure. But there are things that happen in church that if you didn't grow up in church, they're going to seem peculiar to you, Right? I get tons of conversations like, why do you guys do that, right? And so if you didn't grow up in church, like, why in the world do you guys do that? Or if you didn't grow up here at Grace, there might be things that, that maybe we do that aren't like the church you grew up in. It's like, why do you do that? Or why do you do it the way you do it? And then we, we said this, that even if you did grow up here, maybe you did grow up in church, there's going to be things that happen in church that are like really, really familiar. But the truth is, you don't realize how peculiar they can seem until you sit beside somebody for the very first time who finds themselves in church. And so we said, let's just have an honest conversation, right? Let's just talk about some of those things so that we can explain them, understand them, make sense of them, because we want to make the peculiar familiar, and then we want to make what is familiar meaningful. And so that's why we're having the conversation. First week, we started the series, we talked about baptism. Like we put this tub in the front and we dunk people, get them really wet. And why in the world do you do that? Uh, what's the purpose of that? Is that just kind of a church thing, a religious thing? And we actually said it was something Jesus taught us to do, right? And so we explained this picture of baptism. And it was really cool because last week we had 23 people throughout our services that publicly let everybody know they belong to Jesus by getting baptized. It was an amazing Sunday, right? And so we just kind of unwrapped this whole idea of baptism. The second week, we talked about communion. And that sounds like a church word, right? Many of you, maybe you grew up different denominations, different churches, different uh, religions, whatever it might be, and you've heard the word communion. We said, what is communion? And when Jesus was talking about communion, like, what did he mean? And, and so we kind of unwrapped that picture. And we said this, September 5th, that's a Wednesday night, September 5th, 7 o'clock, it's in your program, we're going to celebrate communion. Because if I could simplify what communion is, it is this worship service that paints a picture of Jesus. And so if you've never been to one of our communion services, you're like, I might be nervous about coming. I got that. Come. You're like, I'm not sure what to expect. That's fine. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. There's nothing funky about it. We just have this great time celebrating Jesus. I would strongly encourage you to come check it out as we worship Jesus. Uh, it'll be about an hour long, Wednesday, September 5th. And then last week, here's all we did. We just said, okay, let's unwrap why we do what we do here on a Sunday morning. When you come on a Sunday morning, why do you experience the things you experience? Why do we do the things we do? And we said, when you gather here, we want to make it really clear, Jesus is the big deal. Before you ever get into this room, we want, want you to feel the gospel before you ever hear the gospel. And so that's why we have greeters and guys helping park the cars and coffee and this, that, and the other thing. 
And then eventually we'd love for you to get in smaller groups because you can't really fully understand Jesus apart from relationships. But we said the coolest part of our church service is, is when we dismiss, right? Because that's when, when people who have aligned their life with Jesus go and they want Jesus to make sense to others that they get to work with and live around. And so we just kind of unwrapped our Sunday morning experience last week. This morning, you ready? Say yes. Thank you. This morning... Here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about something that is peculiar if you didn't grow up in church. You ready? And for those of you who didn't grow up in church, can I tell you a little secret? For those who did grow up in church, what I want to talk about this morning is perturbing. How's that, huh? Say that word out loud with me, perturbing. I like that word, right? I want to talk to you this morning about the most hated topic to be talked about in church. Aren't you excited you're here? Some of you are like, oh, gee whiz, I invited somebody to come with me today, right? I want to talk to you about something that is extremely confusing. I want to talk to you about a topic that has been abused over the years in church. This morning, I want to talk to you about why in the world we take an offering. I want to talk to you about money. Turn to your neighbor and say, preacher's going to talk about money. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say it. Now turn to your neighbor and say, and we're going to like it. Go ahead and say that to each other, right? I like it. Yeah, I want to talk to you, and the reaction's all over the board. I wish you could be in my seat, right? I'm looking at your face, and I'm like, oh, no, right? Some of you have all kinds of emotional reactions. Some of you are like a little boy I read about, right? He was riding home in the back of the car on the way from church, and he was sitting in the back seat, and he was listening to his dad complain about the sermon. You guys never do that, I'm sure, right? He's listening to his mom complain about the music, and he's listening to his sister complain about how long the service was. And he piped up eventually and said, hey, listen, guys, it wasn't a bad show for five bucks, is what he said, right? <laughs> you see, the reason is something that, that we kind of get all tensed up about in church is, well, for quite frankly, some of you have been abused by it, Right? I mean, you've heard preachers, and that's all they talk about in the church you went to. They, they seem to always talk about money. Some of you, you're like, oh, no, this is the one area of my life. It's kind of private, and I'm ashamed, and I think I'll feel guilty by the end of the day. So here's the deal. Ready? Everybody look here a second. I want everybody collectively to take a deep breath. Ready? And I want you to relax. You know why? Because we already took the offering, and we ain't taking another one, all right? So just Relax. Like, I'm not, we're not going to take a second offering, none of that stuff, but I have this deep desire for you to understand why we do what we do. In fact, could we do this this morning? Can, can we pretend? Can we pretend for a second? Just shake your head. It helps me out. Just pretend. Here's what I want us to pretend. Not that I'm up here preaching to you. There's a lot of you in the room, right? I, I don't want to do that. Can we just pretend for a minute that you came into my office and you sat on the couch and I sat in the chair and we just had a talk? That's kind of what I want to do this morning. I want to talk to you about why we do what we do, and I want to talk to you about some things that God's Word has to say about money, why we take the offering. Why in the world would you do that? And hopefully, it will educate some of us, and for some of the others of us, it will clear up some misconceptions. And so here's how I want to do it. I simply want to do it by answering some questions. I want to answer the question as to why in the world do we do it in the first place? I want to answer the question, okay, if I wanted to start giving, how should I give? Does God have anything to say about that? Then I want to get really, really tangible for a few minutes because you need to know this. I want you to know this stuff. I, I want to get tangible and say, okay, what? Like if I'm somebody who gives to Grace Church or have given to Grace Church, like what does that go towards, right? And that's a great question. And then I want to end with the question of who. But let's start with why. Can we do that? 
Shake your head. Helps me out. I know everybody's tense, like money day, right? But here's the deal. I want to talk about why in the world we take up an offering. And here's what I know. The reason this is such an interesting topic to be talked about in church is one of the most hated topics is because there have been two polar opposite abuses of this topic. Now, stay with me on this. On the one hand, there has been a wrong focus. What I mean by that is there are churches that what they do is they try to get people to give and they use the three G's. I call them the three G's. And the three G's are simply this, guilt, gimmicks, and greed. And so I'm going to guilt people into giving, right? And maybe some of you grew up that way and you had some preacher yelling at you and you felt guilty and, oh man, I better give because God's going to get me and all that kind of stuff. And so they'll use guilt or they'll use greed. You ever been around that, right? The way they use greed is this. If you give, you'll get. Send your check to this address and you'll get this back, right? And so they'll use greed because I'm going to give because I want something. Or they'll use gimmicks, right? The big thermometer in the front and all that kind of stuff and use gimmicks to try to manipulate or encourage, inspire people into giving. And, and some of you grew up that way. Some of you have experienced that where there's been this wrong focus and it feels like that's all they ever talk about. But listen, listen, there is another polar opposite response that is equally misfocused, and that is when we put no focus on it whatsoever. Now, look here, confession time. That's what I did as a young pastor. When I was a pastor in Indiana, I was so turned off by that kind of focus that I decided I was never going to talk about money. I said, we're going to have a church, and guess what? You can come to our church, and we're never going to talk money until I start studying Jesus. And I realized something about Jesus. You know what I realized about Jesus? He talked about money more than anything else. And I'm like, man, you're going to pastor a church and you're going to talk about things and you're not even going to talk about what Jesus spent most of his time talking about. And so I began digging in, okay, what did Jesus want us to know about money and how can we deliver that in a way that's understandable where people don't feel guilted, gimmicked, or greeted into giving? And one of the things that caught me right off the bat is something Jesus said in Matthew 6, and this is the foundation for where I want to go. Jesus is the one talking here, and here's what he says. We're going to get to 2 Corinthians 9 in a second. He said, don't you store up for yourselves treasures on earth, moth and vermin destroy there. Thieves can break in and steal it, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You with me? For where your treasure is, everybody say this next phrase out loud with me, there your Bingo. And it's like, wow. He says, none of you guys can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. What is Jesus saying? Here's what he's saying. You can fill in the little parenthesis. He's saying that my heart and my money are always connected. That's what he's saying. And when you think about it, even if you're like, man, I'm new to this church thing. I'm not sure what I believe about God. When you think about it, just logically, what Jesus is saying is absolutely dead on that my money follows my heart, right? That the things that I'm committed to, here's how I would say, if I want to figure out what is most important to me in life, if I really wanted to know what, was, what really mattered to me, you know what I would do? I would look at my checkbook or my, my, my ledger of where my money's going. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that my money and my heart are always connected, and that helps me understand, well, why do we give what is the purpose in giving? Is that just something we do every Sunday because that's what we do? No, we give because my giving reflects my worship. My giving reflects who or what I worship. Here's, here's the deal. 
Taking up an offering, you ought to remember this, is not as much about my wallet as it is about my worship. Taking up an offering is not as much about my wallet as it is about my worship. I challenged you guys about a year or two ago to do this, and I'll remind you of it, that if you want to know what matters to you, here's what I would encourage you to do. Spy on your money for 30 days. Like, like literally spy on your money and see where every penny that you bring in goes. And all of a sudden, it, it's a fascinating experience. Like, like, I would say this, even if you're like, I'm not a churcher, I don't know that I believe in God, it's still a fascinating experience. Because all of a sudden, what you begin to do is say, oh, wow, I didn't realize we were, we were prioritizing that in our life. I didn't realize that was taking so much. Jesus is just saying this, my heart, my money, always connected, that it reflects my worship. But listen, when you get to 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, it doesn't just reflect my worship, but my giving is a response to something. Look at your Bibles. If you don't feel comfortable using a Bible, we'll put it on the screen. But 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're going to come back to that. That's a fascinating phrase. God's able to bless you abundantly. I would underline that in your Bibles. Let me say that again. God is able to bless you abundantly. I'm going to tell you in a minute why I want you to underline it. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. I had just underline a phrase in verse 8. You're saying, why would you have us underline that? Because there's a fascinating word in Greek that when you look at that word and translate it out in the English Standard Version, here's what it says. And God is able to make all, say that word out loud, grace. And here's literally what it means. He's able to make grace upon grace superabound. That next word in the Greek, you can forget this, means superabound. God is able to make grace upon grace superabound in your life. Listen, for the sake of time, let's do this. The foundation of my giving is God's grace. The motivation for my giving is God's grace. The thing that drives my giving is God's generosity found in the gospel. And so here's what I want you to write down. God has been extravagantly generous to me. That's the gospel. The thing that drives my giving isn't a preacher yelling at me, right? The thing that drives my giving isn't guilt. I, I, I knew some people went to a church and they posted what everybody gave on a board somewhere, right? I was like, whoa, like that's... Wow, right? That, that's not what drives my giving. The thing that drives my giving isn't some gimmick or isn't greed. The thing that drives me to give is the fact that I've been given to way beyond anything that I could ever imagine. And that leads me to know this, that my giving is a response to his grace. It responds to the grace of God in my life. Here's what I mean by that. The gospel says that God has given us way beyond anything we could ever outgive or ever imagine. You know what the gospel says? Here's what the gospel says. Spiritually speaking, I'm bankrupt. You're bankrupt. Spiritually speaking, I am homeless. Spiritually speaking, that I am literally clothed with the tattered, dirty, ripped up old clothes of my own righteousness. My religion is what I wrap myself with, and it's dirty, and it's, and it's tattered. 
And in Christ, the gospel says this, that me being homeless, me being spiritually bankrupt, me being covered in my own tattered clothes, that in Christ, God invites me in, gives me a seat around the table, calls me his son, says, I'm gonna bless you with every spiritual blessing available to you, and I'm gonna clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. God has been generous. And when that generosity found in Christ begins to explode in my life, guess what? It erupts from my life. That's where giving comes from. Giving is a response. That's why giving is an act of worship. And the foundation of my giving is realizing I've been given too. But it causes me to realize something else that Paul wants us to know. I want you to see it. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 9. Beginning in verse 10, he says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Everybody look here a second. Class, uh, participation time. Ready? Who is the he who supplies seed to the sower? Who is that? Out loud? Uh-oh. Might not have known, right? A, B, or C. Who is the he who provides seed to the sower? God. God is the he who provides. So he's saying that God provides seed. What is he saying? Listen, listen, this is key. You ought to write this down somewhere. Paul is saying that when I get this right, I realize that I'm the owner of nothing, but I'm the manager of what he's given me. It's different. I'm the owner of nothing, but everything I have, he's given me to manage. For 60, 70, maybe 80 years, I get the chance to steward what God's given me. It's interesting. Which leads him to go on and say this, verse 12. He says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you've proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God's given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What's he saying here? He's saying, my giving somehow will impact other people's lives. I would write it this way. I am eager to point others to the God who's generous. I am eager to point others. Listen, if I have been given to from God, ready, ready? I don't want to hoard his grace. I don't want to hoard God's generosity. That's why I would write this down. My giving reaches other people. My giving reaches other people. It's our way of partnering with this generous, gracious God to make sure the story of God gets further faster. Let me say it this way. Here at Grace Church, here at Grace Church, we would love if every child in Summit County at minimum knew how much Jesus loves them. Here at Grace Church, At the Norton campus, we would love if every person struggling with addiction knew there was hope. Here at Grace Church, we would love if every marriage that right now is struggling had an opportunity to resurrect and not just survive, but thrive. Here at Grace Church, we would love for Jesus to begin making sense to people who right now, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so our giving is something God takes and we partner with him to make sure that story gets further faster. So the answer is, why do we give? 
Because some bold preachers, yeah, no. Because we have a thermometer, no. Because I'm, no. Because my giving reflects what I worship. My giving is in response to what I've received. And my giving makes sure that what I have experienced, I export. I want other people to know the story. So at least this question. We're just going to get real practical. Because I get asked this stuff. So if we're sit- we still sitting in my office, you still there with me? Right? We're still sitting there? Right? I can tell you one thing. If you're sitting in my office, you wouldn't fall asleep. So just keep that in mind, all right? But if we're sitting in my office and the question that I've been asked is, okay, Dan, uh, how in the world do I do that? Like, like, Dan, if I wanted to be somebody who began giving, like, I hear you guys talk about it on Sunday, like, what are things that I need to know? Now, now listen, young adults, teenagers in the room, dial in. I wish somebody had talked to me about this more plainly when I was your age, okay? Uh, young, young married couples, dial in. One of the top three things that get in the way of marriages, finances, Okay? And so when it comes to giving, what does God say should be the thing that maybe directs me in how I give? Well, Paul says this. Look back at your Bibles. Let's, let's give you some easy ways to remember this. I'm going to give them to you in five Ps. They all begin with a letter P, okay? 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Here's what it says. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, What's he saying here? Look here. Let's, we're just going to get real practical. You guys okay still? Just shake your head. You all right? Just shake your head. Anytime I talk about money, it's just like really tense in here, right? Just everybody relax, okay? What's he saying? He's saying, I don't want you to give because somebody made you feel guilty. I don't even want you to give because, uh-oh, uh-oh, here comes that basket. Boom, I'm going to put something in there, right? Somebody might be watching. He said, no, no, here's what I want you to do. When it comes to giving, I want you to write it down this way, plan to become a prayerful giver. That's what he's saying. He said everybody should give what he's decided in his heart to give. He's like, I, I want this to be something that's between you and God. Here's how this works. You might be in the room like, man, oh man, Dan, I want to I, I be somebody who starts giving. Here's my advice to you. I would pray, I would ask God, the one who gives you everything you have, about a plan for giving. I'd talk to him about it. Now listen, listen. Some of you are... You're like, I've been giving for a while, and and it just almost becomes mechanical. It's like, okay, and push the button, and I don't even know, and whatever. Here's what I would say to you. I would say this to you. I would plan to pray about your giving. You see, our giving can become mechanical. Let me tell you how this, let me just in full transparency, because if we're sitting in my office, this is the way we would operate, so we're going to do that, okay? Okay. Uh, I would tell you th- how something like this operates for Jennifer and I, my wife and I. Uh, by the way, if you're married, you're one. Uh, I'll give you an opinion. That means you're one. Everything is one. Okay? And so our finances, Jennifer and I's finances, are one. We're, we're together. And so once a year, once a year, what we do is we go away to a cabin together. No TV, no none of that stuff, just kind of quiet. And once a year, here's the way it works. You don't have to do it the way we do it. I'm just giving you what we do. And we sit down once a year and we take inventory. Say, hey, sweetheart, how are we doing? Like, how am I doing? You know? And then i got to be ready for her to answer that, all right? You know? Like, am I being tender and sensitive and communicating? Am I 
too busy, all that stuff. It's like, okay, how are we doing? Then like, how are the kids? And our kids are grown and gone, but when our kids were at home, how are the kids and how are we doing there? And then eventually sometime while we're away, we say, how are we doing financially? And we begin to look at our plan and we begin to say, okay, how are we doing with the plan? And we begin to say, okay, what does God want us to do with the plan? You see, once a year, we go back and revisit the plan together. Because we do it together, and we want to prayerfully say, God, we want it to be a plan that comes from you. See, that's all Paul is saying. He's saying, I want you to plan to give. And so if you're here with your wife, your husband, whatever, it's like, hey, what would it mean for us to get away for an hour even, or two hours, and begin to prayerfully plan? But but then beyond that, here's what he says. Look back at 2 Corinthians. I love this. Look at verses 6 and 7. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Look at verse 7. For God loves a, say that word out loud, cheerful giver. Here's what he's saying. When God's grace lands in my life, it erupts from my life. Say it again. When God's grace lands in my life, it erupts from my life. What is he saying here? I think he's saying this. Be a passionate giver. That word cheerful, let me give you a little word study here. That word cheerful, if you drill that back into the Greek language, okay, just this is interesting to me, it's the word hilaron, hilaron, which is where we get the word hilary, you know Greek, huh? Isn't that interesting? Paul's saying this, God loves a hilarious giver. I love that. I think what Paul is saying is, is this, is that God loves it when somebody so understands how much God's given to them that they get giddy about giving. I was reading, this is true, I was reading about a church, and I'm not saying we should do this, I'm just saying it's, it's interesting to me, that, that when they take their offering, here's what everybody does, they, they woo, and they clap, right? I'm like, yeah, y'all were looking at me like, that's weird, Right? But it's interesting. It's like somehow they've brought the hilarity into giving. And you're like, well, that's kind of weird. Not so much because we did Big Picture Project. And during Big Picture Project, I had 14 different meetings with a lot of you where we just met in this room and we told you and said, here's what we think God's calling us into and here's what we think it's going to cost. And in some of those meetings, guess what some of you did? I was saying, hey, this is going to, and you clapped. It's it's like somehow God's grace, when it erupts in our life, it explodes from our life. And so all Paul is saying is this, plan to be a prayerful giver. And then he's saying, be a passionate giver. And then look at this. Let's drill back into Jesus in Matthew 6. Look at the screen. He says this, but seek, what's that next word? First, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. What does Jesus seem to be saying here? I want you to write this down. I want to tease this out a second. He's saying, make giving a priority. Make giving a priority. Why? Because my money and my heart are connected. My money and my heart are connected. And it's as though he's saying, is the God who made me a priority, listen close, a priority in my life? Is the God who made me a priority, a priority in my life? Now, everybody look here. I can tell it's time to do this, right? Take a deep breath again. This morning is not some bald preacher standing up here asking for money. That we, offering's gone. Like, I don't, nothing. This is not some desperate plea. We're doing good. Grace Church doing good. 
because of the generosity of God's people. But you know what I do know? You know what I do know is that God doesn't simply want your money. He wants your heart. And what Jesus says is somehow my heart and my money are connected. And when it comes to my giving, it's about making giving a priority. Now, let's just get real for a second. I, I didn't get this when I was early married. This is not the way I gave. Can I just share with you kind of my story? When we were first married, I was the one who kind of took charge of the finances. My wife didn't want to do that, and so I was the one that wrote the bills. And the way I gave, just sharing so I can share my experience, the way we gave, we were connected with this little church. We taught the kids and whatever. And the way I gave and the way Jennifer and I decided to give was this. I sat down. We didn't make much money. We wrote all the bills, and then we saw what was left. And if there was something left, we're like, And then there was a passage of Scripture that just got me. It, it just, I mean, I'm not saying it's got to get you, but I want to show you that passage of Scripture. Because when, as a young guy, who, who, who young married guy, and I'm writing this, I'm just kind of like, what? It got me. And the passage is found in the very last book of the Old Testament. If you got your Bibles, just look at it with me. Let's do the hard work and go there. I want to help you this morning because it just, man, it nailed me. It's found in Malachi 1. I want to show you this. And here's what he says. Look at verse 6, at the end of verse 6. He said, it's you priests, or let's put some modern. It's, it's you guys that are in charge of the church, you preachers who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? And look at this, by offering defiled food. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, isn't that wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, isn't that wrong? Try offering those things to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? I'm like, oh my goodness. Now plead with God to be gracious. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. Listen, listen, don't miss this. When I'm reading this, I'm like, God wants them to shut the church doors. This is God speaking. So that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased. I'll not accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. For where the sun rises to where it sets in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Because my name will be great among the nations. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled. Its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously. When you bring injured lame, diseased animals and offer them as sacrifice. What were they doing? Listen, listen. They were offering their what? Leftovers. <laughs> I need to tell you guys something, man. When, when I read this, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like he's like, I just shouldn't you shut the church doors. I'm like, wow. And so this is what led me on a journey. Say, what does it mean for me if, if, if I've aligned my life with Jesus what does it mean for me to place him first? Now, let, let me just tell you. Let me tell you. There's, there's this principle I need to tell you about because some people it doesn't make sense to. And I need, you need to understand it. And I want it to be sensible to you. In the Old Testament, there's this principle called first fruits. In fact, that's worthwhile writing down somewhere. 
where God is saying, what I want is, is the first fruits. I want to be the first thought when you bring in the harvest. I want to be the first thought. And he says, when, when you bring your offering, I want you to honor me. In Proverbs 3, it says this, says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And this idea of first fruits is interesting to me. Let's just tease it out a minute, okay? Because, because I want this to make sense to you. I want to tell you about a, a friend of mine that when I was pastoring in Indiana, he had financially gotten himself in some deep, deep, deep weeds. Some of you are in deep weeds this morning, okay? So maybe this will help you. I don't know. He came to me and he said, Dan, he said uh, he was a pretty new believer, new follower of Jesus. And he said, Dan, uh, we're in deep weeds financially and we're going we're gonna to claim bankruptcy. I said, hey, man, I'm sorry you're in such a bad place. I said, before you claim bankruptcy, can, can I talk to you? He said, sure. I said, before you claim bankruptcy, what I want you to do is I want you to bring all your bills and everything in and bring them into my office and let's at least talk before we just pull the trigger and claim bankruptcy. I said, I'm not a financial planner and all that, but I'd like to, to meet with you. He brought his stuff in, laid them out on my desk. I remember it like it was yesterday. This dude was in deep weeds. This, this dude was, was in a bad way. Had all these creditors breathing down his neck, people writing him these nasty letters, this, that, and the other thing. And, and he had no money to be able to, to, to pay these bills and live on and so on and so forth. And the biggest thing that was bothering him was he said, and I can't give anything. I don't got any money. I began to look at, at, at all these bills and I said, hey, listen, why don't we, instead of just pulling the trigger and claiming bankruptcy, why don't we see if we can try another route? Why don't we take responsibility for what's going on here? And he said, what does that mean? He said, why don't we write a letter to every last person that you borrowed money from who wants their money back? It's their money. They lended it to you. By the way, we can get mad when we get asked to pay a credit card, but we, they lended us money. And why don't we take responsibility? Tell them we're in deep weeds. Apologize for the fact that we've been delinquent in paying them. Ask for their forgiveness and ask if they'll work with you. He said, well, I never thought of doing that. I said, yeah, it's not normal, right? I said, but imagine if you're them and get that letter. Maybe they'll say, that ain't normal. Maybe we want to look at that letter. Well, he wrote. I don't know how many of them we wrote. I helped him write this letter. He took responsibility. He got a bunch of letters back saying, hate to be you, but pay your money, right? But he got a couple back that said this, said, hey, listen, man, thanks for sharing your situation. We'd like to work with you. And then we began to develop a plan. Now, how in the world can we develop a plan for you to take the monies that you make and, and we can tell that money where to go so that we can be successful with making sure that, that we're providing for our family? By the way, a plan is just called a budget. And that's me telling my money where to go. And I said, instead of claiming bankruptcy, why don't we take responsibility, work with them, and develop a plan? He said this to me. This is where I'm going with this. He said, the problem is this, Dan. He said, I can't give anything to God. Now listen, he, he said, I, don't, I knew his financial situation. Can I tell you something? He was in deep weeds. If he had, he said, Dan, I can't give 10% to God is what he said. He grew up hearing you're supposed to give 10%. He said, I can't give, and can I tell you something? He couldn't. They are gonna cart him to jail. Like he, he was in deep weeds. And I said this, I said, why don't you set aside worrying about how much right now, and why don't you start giving to God first? 
And why don't you take the first dollar and set it aside and give it to God? He said, that's embarrassing. I said, if you begin giving the first dollar, make it a priority in your life. All of a sudden, what happens is the first thought you have when you pay it is, God, you're the one who gave this to me. God, you're the one who's blessed me. And God, I want to partner. The first thing I want to do is partner. And so he started doing that. And I watched this man give the first dollar every week. First dollar, first dollar. He and I are the only two that knew about it, right? First dollar. And eventually he started to get out of debt and he started to give $2, then $3. It was amazing to me to watch. You see, when Jesus is saying this, here's the deal. This is not some preacher saying, you got, this is him saying, your heart is connected to your money. And so when I met with my friend, I said, what is first place in your life? He said, God. I said, well, why don't you give God your first dollar? This is the way, I just want to be helpful to you. And if this helps, if it doesn't, just forget it. The way this works when my wife and I meet is this. The plan is a budget. And when we meet once a year, the first line item in our budget, which is our plan, is you could see it if, if you saw our budget, is in big letters, God. Why do we do that? Because we're prone to put other things ahead of God. And so for us, and I'm, I don't know what you give, you don't know what I give, but I can tell you this, I want God to always be first. You know why? Because I am so tempted to put all kinds of other things before God. And so Jesus simply says, hey, seek first. And then there's this interesting thing in, in Malachi that, that he says, I want to explain because there's a lot of misunderstanding about this. In Malachi 3.8, he uses a term that I hear people use all the time, and I want to explain. He said, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And then he says, you've cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due to me. Everybody's like, hey, did you pay your tithe, right? There's this, uh, uh, what in the world is a tithe? And when you read in the Old Testament, there's this thing called tithe, and, and it simply is this, that God set aside that I want you to give the first 10%. When you really study it, it, it actually was even more than that. But for the sake of today, here's what he's saying. This is all he's saying, okay? Uh, it's, it's so confusing. It wasn't that they paid their tithe. It was that they gave their tithe. Why did God choose 10%? Everybody look here. Why did he choose 10%? Write this down somewhere. I'm going to tell you why so you can share it with your friends. You ready? Everybody get your pens ready. I don't know. <laughs> like, 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 I don't know. I, I hear preachers making up things. I, don't, I really don't know. I'm not that smart. Or I, I, I'm not sure. I just figure he knows something I don't know. But what it tells me is this, is that somehow God measures this thing different than we do. He measures in percentages, not amount, and it kind of helps me. It helps me understand how to give, and I would write this down. I want to decide on being a percentage giver. I want to decide, okay, me and my wife decide, what's the percent? I want to start somewhere. I mean, if it's 10%, that's awesome. I want to start somewhere. My friend couldn't start there. He just couldn't. That's not where he could start. But that helps me somehow understand that somehow God said, hey, listen, I want you to decide on this percent, and I want you to decide to be a percentage giver, which leads to this last thing, and then, then I need to fly. But if you're in 2 Corinthians 9, if you flip one chapter back, it's talking about this really, really poor church. And he said, I want you to know this, dear brothers and sisters, what God and his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. So he's talking about a poor church. But they are also filled with abundant joy. 
which is overflowed in rich generosity. This poor church overflowed with rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Like, they're begging Paul, can we give? You know, it's like, that's weird. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. It's a response of worship. And to us, just as God wanted them to. So he said, that's why we urge Titus, we encourage your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Now look at this. Since you excel in so many ways, you have incredible faith, he says. You have gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us. I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. What's the motivation? The gospel. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What's he saying? Why don't you write this down? He's simply saying this. I want you to continue to progress in your giving. I would say it this way for the sake of of time. He seems to be saying this, that the more I understand how much I've been given to, the more generosity flows from me. Jesus said it this way, it's more blessed to give than to... You've heard that before then. It's interesting, right? In fact, I would say this, that generosity and giving is a sign of maturity. You know that no matter what you believe about God. You know how you know that? Because you like Christmas. And you know what I know about Christmas, and you know about Christmas, and I'm getting ready to find out about Christmas? That when you're a little kid, all you can focus on is what? What am I going to get? I can't wait, right? But I understand that it's even worse when you become a grandparent, and I'm going to be one soon, right? That you no longer focus on what you're going to get as a grandparent. What brings you joy? What you're going to give. You see, you know it. Even no matter what you think about the Bible, you know that somehow it's a sign of maturity. You see, that's all he's saying. The more I understand how great God is to me and generous he is to me, that this sign of maturity that I'm growing up in Jesus shows up in generosity, in giving, in multiple ways. Giving is a sign of maturity. It's a grace that I grow in. Now, I want to say this, and then I'm going to be quick about this, but... but I, I want to do this because I think some people have questions about this, and I want to be clear. Why do I give? It reflects my worship. It responds to what God's done for me. I want to reach other people. How do I give? The five Ps. Plan to prayerfully give. I want to be passionate. Make it a priority. Decide a percentage. Continue to progress. If I were to choose to give to Grace Church, if I were to choose to give to Grace Church, what does that go towards? I'm going to explain it simply. We have two major buckets that, that you're giving, that you're giving goes into. First one's called the general fund. So you guys need to know this. We have meetings about it. We invite you to it, but I know some of you can't come and there's conflicts. Here at Grace Church, it's about a $1.3 million budget that we approved. As a, it's on the back of your program. You'll see it on the back of your program. We put it there every week. Okay? One point. What in the world does that monies go towards? It goes so that we can carry on the ministry that's happening here. Let me tell you some of the things. There is a team of seven pastors. I am part of a team of seven pastors and directors. 
They're one, some of the most wonderful people in the world. Beyond that, we have four interns, pastoral interns. We have one pastoral resident. Beyond that, we have coordinators. We have support staff, about 24 people on a team. Everybody look here a second. I have the privilege of leading some of the most incredible people I know, and I'm speaking for them right now. They, along with me, say thank you. Because of your giving, we have the opportunity to, in a full-time way, pursue leading the ministry here. We do not take that lightly. And we thank you for your generosity in making that possible. Some of your giving goes to make sure that we can lead, that we can counsel, that we can start ministries, that we can prepare people for ministry. Thank you for that. Beyond that, there's things that your monies go to. We have a building that needs lights and fixing and repair and grass that needs mowed and snow that needs plowed and insurance that needs bought and things like that. But the really cool thing is that it goes towards ministry. Things like curriculum to teach kids so that Jesus makes sense. Things like uh, young adult ministry where we can begin to equip young adults for, for how they can begin to lead in their families and their neighborhoods and high school ministry and middle school ministry. Uh, things like recovery ministries and things of that nature. Your giving goes to make sure that we can make Jesus make sense to as many people as we possibly can. Beyond that, we partner with local partners here in Akron, people like Haven of Rest, people like the Norton Community Schools, and then we have nine global partners that we partner with. Your giving goes to make sure that the, the good news of Jesus gets its way around the world. On that screen, I realize they're just faces to you. Uh, here's what's represented. Haiti, Africa, Indians out west in New Mexico, Virginia Beach. I mean, you have the privilege of being a part of making sure the gospel goes further faster. One of the buckets that our giving goes to is the general fund. And then there's some of you, we do every three years this vision campaign. And what it's called is the Big Picture Project. It's a three-year project. And some of you, some of you have said that you've invested in that. You said, I'm going to be a part of that. There are about 316 different uh, family units that said, I want to be a part of that here in our campus. And what is that about? It's about making sure the gospel gets here, there, and everywhere. Your giving is part of making sure we can invest in these teenage interns. Your giving kind of helped do the cafe downstairs. We have a whole group of people. That's where they do church. And you might be down there now. Hello, you know, we're glad you're here, right? Not only that, but we want to get the gospel there. November 4th, we're opening our eighth campus in, in Sterling, Ohio. County Line Campus is the name. It's fascinating, right? Our eighth campus. We also are part of Restore Addiction Recovery. I just met with the, the, the guy who's chairing this up. They have the land. They have the plans. This thing is real. It's happening. We're going to have a meeting here in the not-too-distant future. We're going to get a chance to hear about it. Christ-centered recovery, residential treatment. It is necessary in our community. Necessary. And beyond that, we've partnered with our community to make one million meals for kids. That's what your giving goes to so that we can be part of Feed My Starving Children. I'd encourage you to sign up for that. It costs money to get the materials, to send the materials. That's what your giving goes to, which, which leads to the last question, and then I'm done. The last question is this, who? <laughs> who? Everybody look here a second. I want to tell you something. 
from the absolute bottom of my heart, you guys are some of the most generous, extravagantly generous people I've ever been around in my life. It's unreal to me how God has allowed your generosity to erupt so that more and more people can hear the good news of Jesus. Many of you in here have been giving for a long time. Thank you for your faithfulness, your investment, and your investment in things that probably won't last you. Some of you just began giving. In fact, can I read a statistic? It's okay to clap in church, and this is one worth clapping for. The last 12 months, the last 12 months, there have been 204 of you that began giving for the very first time. Isn't that exciting, guys? Yeah, we clap about that. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. I get asked these questions in my office, and so I thought, I'm going to answer them from the front. I have people that will come to me and they'll say, but Pastor Dan, I'm in, I'm, I'm in such debt. You have no idea. We live in a country that's just kind of, we're just kind of burdened with debt. And if that's you, quit suffering in silence. We'd love to help you. There's people in this church that can help coach you financially. They can help coach you to begin to get out of that debt. Some of you are like, but Dan, I, I'm in such debt I can't give. I would encourage you the way I did my friend. Just think of God first. Give him, give him the first dollar. Start there. First 50 cents, quarter. I don't know. Start there. Think of him first. And let that begin to grow in your life. Question I get asked. When should I start? <laughs> when should I start? I'm a follower of Jesus, and when should I start? Well, I'd start as soon as you can, right? But, but when I get asked that question, here's normally what it means. It's parents who are looking at me and saying, when should, should I start talking to my kids about this? Early. I would start talking to them early. Some of you don't believe in allowance. That's cool. That's fine. We gave our kids an allowance for the distinct purpose that we could teach them about generosity and saving. And so it became a teaching tool for us. So whatever you give them, whether it's a buck, five bucks, whatever it is, but what does it mean for us to make him a priority, that our heart is connected to our money, all those kind of things? But listen, last thing, and then I'm done. Last thing, I'm done. I, I way overstayed my welcome. <laughs> Don't look at the clock, but I way over. <laughs> Every time I do that, I'm like, whoop. Listen, listen. But, but I felt like I just need to have a heart-to-heart with you, okay? If you leave here and you think Dan was asking for something, you're wrong. You're wrong. What I long for you is that God has your heart. And if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, you're saying, Dan, what are you asking us to give? Hear me very, very clearly. I'm asking you to give nothing until you've received what he has to give to you. And what he has to give to you in Christ is something that will blow your mind. That in Christ, I can have a relationship with God I can be forgiven of my sin, and I can be sure heaven is my home. The first step is to receive. And then anything I give and the generosity in my life flows from the fact that I've received from God beyond what I could ever outgive. So God, thanks for not leaving us in the dark, that we can just kind of have practical conversation about this. And I just pray that you'd help us to, to digest it and see how it lands in our life. 
I thank you for the generosity of your people here at Grace Church and that many, many lives have been touched because of their generosity. So God, I pray that wherever this challenges and leans into us, that you would help us to take the next step, whether that's receive from you what you've given to us or whether that's begin to spy on, on where our heart's at. And God, I pray that you would take this and finish, finish this little conversation in our hearts. We love you. We know you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name.